In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to Broads and Books, the podcast with one unique theme, four handpicked book recommendations, and two broads. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. If you listen to our regular episodes on Wednesdays, you know we tell you about our favorite books based on different weekly themes. We get gloriously nerdy about books. So glorious. So nerdy. So wonderful. So we had a thought. Those authors that write the books that we love... They probably get nerdy about books, too. So we thought, why don't we ask them about that nerdiness? Let's just get into the nerdiness. Yes. So that's what this new bonus series is all about. And today we've got Chanel Benz. I recommended The Gone Dead in episode 36, where we talked about books with some justice. We got Chanel on the phone, and she loves books, just like us. Yes. But there is so much more in this interview. She talks acting. She talks embarrassing English teachers. She talks about how she writes, disturbing fan encounters, and everything in between. There's just everything. It's all ups and downs. It's wonderful. She's wonderful. So Chanel mentions some terrific books in this interview, and you'll find all of them in the show notes in your podcast player and on our website. You will absolutely find something to add to your increasingly unrealistic to-be-read pile. If you've subscribed to Broads and Books in your favorite podcast player, you'll get each of these bonus episodes right to you. But if you haven't taken that step yet, you can also find them at our website at broadsandbooks.com. And now, here's our interview with Chanel Benz. Did you have a a favorite book as a kid or a teen that you particularly remember? Um, I mean, as a kid, I loved all of the C.S. Lewis books. Um, oh, yeah. All the Chronicles of Narnia and um, also all the Roald Dahl books. Oh, Ooh, me yeah. too. 
Yeah, just his way of really kind of prizing children's perspective and intelligence and, you know, also casting adults as kind of fools. Um, (laughs) I really related to because I really felt like I had this, you know, sort of intuitive knowledge that adults didn't have. Like I wanted to be an adult in terms of their freedom. Like I really envied them getting to go wherever they wanted to go and not have to tell anybody. Um, But I also felt like there was just so many kind of truths in front of them that they just couldn't see, you know? Yeah. Which is once (laughs) once we turn adult, we realize, oh yeah, it's not that great. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I think Roald Dahl had a sort of darkness to him that I yes. you know, appreciated yes. too as kids. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another thing that we've talked about a couple times in different episodes is uh, classics that we struggled with that maybe for someone else that didn't get back into reading later could have been a turnoff. Um, is there any classic that you remember struggling with? We talked a lot about Moby Dick, but <laughs> we can't stand. Can't stand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I haven't revisited Moby Dick since high school, so I wonder what I would think of it now. Yeah, but I do remember um, I took like uh, American Civilization, something like that. It was like American Civ AP GT, and it was like a combination history and English class. So it was team taught in high school, and I went to school, high school in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. So it was very, um, it was a lot of trips to Manassas Battlefield. Wow. Town, like it was very heavy on uh, American history. Mm. So we didn't really do state history as much because it was sort of like we did larger American history. But I remember that the English teacher, she read out loud sections of Moby Dick when we would come in for class. Oh, dear. Ooh. And But she would give like dramatic readings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. And her readings were ridiculous I hilarious. Can only imagine yeah. <laughs> you would sort of be like and then the whale came oh no oh no Poor. <laughs> he came through the ship <laughs> and the history teacher would be sitting at his desk watching her with his glasses off but like one tip sort of in his mouth so oh. we sort of had these like jokes about like sort of sexual fantasies that they would yes. have yes. um she also read uh, the Scarlet Letter that way too. Oh, oh, man. oh! <laughs> but I actually, like a it. misguided SNL sketch. <laughs> yes, yes, perfect. Yeah, picturing Kate McKinnon. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I don't know if Scarlet Letters served in that context. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, but I did. I did actually enjoy that. Um, mm-hmm. But I really struggled. I can remember struggling with the Old Man in the Sea. Mm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. having to read that before before coming in for my senior year at the beach, and really just being like, "Yeah, here's an old man, yes, and the sea, and this boy, <laughs> and I <laughs> got it. Then. That's it. <laughs> yes, um, that's such a great example of just giving us books that really have no relevance in our lives or who we are or anything." And just kind of like cutting the magic out. I mean, yeah. having, you know, done Shakespeare as an actor later and, and knowing the plays in a different way and just remembering like, you know, majority horrible experiences with Shakespeare in high school, you know, yeah. Um, 
And so just thinking about like those classics that I might have enjoyed, but not in the way that we Absolutely. We've talked about how it's kind of a disservice to to either read some of those or to to teach them in such a way that there is no sort of connection with. It's a it's kind of tough. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up or even as you became an adult, uh, were there any books in particular that made you want to be a writer? Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to pinpoint that exact sure. moment um, because I think I very early on felt like I was a writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know, that the kind of like hubristic um personality that young children have just kind of, of continued on for me. Um, <laughs> and I think part of it was the way I learned how to read. Uh, I had a great aunt in England um, where I spent the first seven years of my life who was a headmistress. And part of the way she taught me how to read is we would make books together. Oh, um, my gosh. She would, like, I would draw some of the pictures and she would write some of the sentences and then we would write some of the letter, you know, we would kind of like work on it together. Um, and so I think I just felt this, um, I guess, like authorship early on. Um, and a yeah, lot of the books wow. I read, you know, um, the Roald Dahl, the C.S. Lewis, um, and I had a lot of story books like Tell Me a Story, Tell Me Another Story. Um, they kind of made ch- uh, sort of place children as these kind of like leaders and creators and adventurers. Um, so I think that I felt pretty early on, like I was going to also be a storyteller. I don't know if that immediately translated into, I'm going to be an author, but it it Mm -hmm. happened pretty quickly. But I also remember later kind of like, um, preteen entering kind of like junior high era, reading a lot of those like Lois Duncan and RL Stein. And that's like writing murder mysteries at school Mm -hmm. and like passing them around two friends and feeling like seventh grade, like definitely by seventh grade, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a writer. Whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I read them, but then I never, it was like, (laughs) oh yeah, right. Yeah. And then creating it and making, (laughs) did you make a profit? You should (laughs) have. Can we revisit those? Can you publish them now? (laughs) Yeah. I kind of wonder what those early books were. I think it was partly like not wanting the books to end. But also yes. like, yes. trying to find a way, especially as like a person of color, a girl, um, to write myself into stories. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Like there's mm-hmm. so many, especially classics, like so many books in which you come to realize later, oh, actually, I wouldn't be part of this landscape. Like yeah. I wouldn't be allowed in this space. But at that age to take that and think, oh, I'm going to put this into some writing. Like stories. you clearly were meant to be an author. Like that's <laughs> it's very clear that it was in your fate. <laughs> that's where it was supposed to go. But you did mention acting for a while. Was yeah. that, uh, what was that like? Um, that was, I mean, it was great in a lot of ways. Like it's kind of, I mean, writing was something I was sort of continuously doing. Sure. And acting was something, I don't know, maybe I picked up my love for it from like watching too much AMC um, <laughs> and kind of picturing myself as like, a, a browner female Laurence Olivier. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. But I think I, I started doing it in high school. Um, I had to kind of not even get over, but I had to sort of deal with my shyness and introversion. Um, but I think that there's actually a number of actors who are introverts. Yeah. Um, and so 
I really wanted to go to like a drama school and it took me a while and I sort of dropped out for a while and I eventually got into drama school in Boston and I went there and that was really wonderful. Um, prior to that, I was just sort of like struggling and there in, in drama school, which is a bit of like a cult experience. Actually, it's very much like a cult experience. Um, they kind of like strip you down to nothing. Oh. You are aware of all of your like habits and armor and you're not putting anything on the character that's yours. So it's sort of like boot camp. Um, for but cults. emotional and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emotional boot camp. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. I mean, looking back, I'm like, it was really an incredible experience, but also maybe in sometimes a little bit of a dangerous experience, you know, yeah. like oh, not yeah. everybody trained to be doing some of the things that they were doing. Um, so I feel like it made me who I am and it really turned me inside out. And um, I feel like, you know, stronger and connected and grateful for that experience. Um, but I also came away with a lot of school debt and, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, so in that respect, it was really wonderful. But then when I went out into like the world and I went to New York city after that, and was kind of pounding the pavement. That was a less, um, I mean, being in New York was great and fun, but it was not, I no longer felt like an artist. Like in school, it was sort of like we were creating characters and sometimes we would create plays, you know, out of like adaptations and, you know, it really felt like works of art. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're going to like <laughs> shitty auditions with shitty directors and shitty plays where you're like trying not to laugh saying the words, you know what I mean? And like in sad little spaces that you're not going to get paid for, or you're going to like, you know, um, commercial auditions, which feel kind of like some kind of ab fab episode, you know, like <laughs> pumping and like impossibly tall and thin models are walking by and you're auditioning for like a Walmart commercial where you don't even have lines. They're just like, tell us a story about a wedding, a funny wedding. Wow. Um, I suddenly oh. just started feeling like I'm not an artist right now and I'm not really enjoying this. And I'm just yeah. feeling kind of squat and fat and gross and, oh. you know, yeah. not, there's not a lot of like return. Um, so after kind of struggling for a while with that, I think, you know, when I was in that kind of like drama school, it was very competitive. Um, and I've definitely heard of worse. So there was definitely worse um, in terms of like, you know, the cut system and, you know, the kind of competitive things that can happen. But I think that there was so much of that, that it was sort of like, you just had to have like a bit of cutthroat ambition. Like I'm going to be an actor and this is what I'm going to be. And I don't want anything else. And so I feel like my writing was something I kind of was doing on the side and sort of fell by the wayside. Um, like I was always doing it and I was sort of like, well, I'll just do my masterpiece on the side. Um, and that novel <laughs> would just happen and I was really famous on that level. Of you know? course. Um, and then when I was eventually in New York and I was just, um, I had a roommate who used to be like a, a literary agent's assistant. And she was like, Oh, you're writing, like send me put some stuff into my door. And so I started doing that. And we just started talking. She was like, you know, you should go to a writing conference. And at that point, I was very anti going back to school because I had debt. And I was just like, I don't need to go to school for anything ever again. Um, But I started to research like MFA programs. And I was like, Ooh, I really like the idea of having like time and space to write and getting money. Um, and New York is a very difficult place to write, I think, because um, you're just living like paycheck to paycheck and there's yeah. a lot of distractions and not a lot of mental space. Um, 
And so I went to one of these conferences. It wasn't like anything fancy, but it was very, um, very restorative. And I brought like a novel I've been working on. And I had this really great mentor there who just kind of reoriented me and was like, you're a writer. And I felt like I could breathe. Like after a long time of kind of striving and feeling like I had to be this thing, I just felt like, oh yeah, actually like I love acting, but um, I'm not that great at it. (laughs) But not. I have my moments, but I also don't have my moments. And I think it's just like, I couldn't really shake that third eye, you know, kind of like watching yourself which if you're observant as like a reader and a writer, that's really helpful, but not as an actor. Um, and so it was just kind of a relief. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back since. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like, I mean, obviously you found the right path, but wow, I can only imagine, you know, and, and a little bit of seeing the business of creativity versus actual creativity seems like it's even more stark in the acting world than it is in writing, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it is harsh out there for actors. Yeah. Like when I got into the writing yeah. business, a lot of my friends who are also writers were like, oh, it's so hard to be a writer. And I was like, really? Try being an actor. <laughs> you know? Good perspective. Yeah. yeah. Like, no one cares what you look like. This is awesome. <laughs> Okay, well, our next question is, um, could you tell us a funny story about a wedding? First off, no funny stories from weddings. They're all, no, 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 no. 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 Actually, um, we talk a lot about our to-be-read piles and yes. how we add to them all the time. Yeah. Is there anything that you can share that's on your pile right now? Oh, it's endless. It's sad. Um, (laughs) always we know yeah yeah it's it's gotten worse since I've been teaching um so I have uh Sadia Hartman's most recent book she just won like a Guggenheim oh wow uh, okay for her work where she kind of does these sort of like it's a blend of research and um I think she calls it like creative confabulation where she's sort of like imagining these lives of, you know, either like the enslaved or people that just didn't have voices. Um, you know, if you were, if you were young and black and coming up and, you know, maybe coming up out of poverty in like the thirties. Um, so I'm reading her earlier book, which is called, um, lose your mother. And it's about right now her going to where the, um, the slave castles are in Ghana and sort of reckoning with that. And she's kind of following the Atlantic slave route um, and kind of thinking about her own genealogy and what mm-hmm. her connection, like what, what, where do you African-Americans belong? Yeah. Mm. You know, like, are they, there's sort of a, a little bit of feeling like a stranger in America, a stranger in Africa. Um, you know, what is the kind of slaves dilemma if you're severed from your family, your your genealogy, your past, your village, like, um, and so kind of thinking about lineage, and so all that kind of stuff is fascinating. Like, I'm like, why am I not Sidia Hartman? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned that uh, you're not reading maybe as much as you want to right now, which you know, life. Um, but have you read anything that surprised you recently over the last year or however long? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think the things that kind of stuck with me is I read, I was really 
I was reading some books and I won't name names um, where I was reading books that I felt like I should read and they were, you know, literary fiction that was popular and doing really mm-hmm. well. And I felt like I should be interested. And I was just really like slogging. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, uh-huh. Like reading the same pages over and over again. You're like, maybe I'll go back a little and I'll, I'm in a different mood right now, you know? Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then I just picked up a bunch of books kind of like right in a row. And I read, um, I read Women Talking. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Miriam Tavey's book. Um, I read, oh, this is one that surprised me. I read Anna Burns' book, um, which is the... Milkman? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that surprised me because when I first started reading it, like, you know, the the um, prose is a little bit challenging, Um which I certainly don't object to, but in my frame of sleep deprivation, it, it yep, yep. <laughs> has not a whole new element. But I just kind of gave into the rhythm of the book. You know, it has this very kind of um, circular kind of looping prose. There's some repetition. There's a lot of, um, like, people don't have names. Uh, but I just kind of, uh, there's a lot of kind of, um, in it's kind of like indirect prose and I just kind of gave into it and I could not stop reading that book. Like wow. I just started like whipping through it and I was just so deeply caught up in a way that I hadn't felt in quite a while. Oh, that's wow. cool. Um, and then I read um, Ghost Wall, which is hmm. my favorite book of 2019. Although I think it might've come out the year before, which is by Sarah Moss. And she's actually an established British writer I had never heard of you know, like got some like Booker nominations and that kind of thing. And um, it's this book that really kind of hits all my spots. Um, It's about this girl and she's with her, her family. And they're with these, um, they're kind of like archaeological reenactors where there's like a a professor and a student and they go back and they're trying to like reenact the way that iron age Britons would have um like experienced the forest and stuff but there's wow. a kind of darker underside to it um and it's more of a, a novella than a novel mm-hmm. and um I just I loved it like it was one of those books where I came to the end I slowed down because I was like oh no <laughs> and I haven't I mean that's like a you know that's when you were like 12 years old you know what I mean yes yes, yes. I fucking love that. And, um, you know, and I got to the end and I like wanted to read it again. So I really cannot remember the last time I felt that about a book. Um, And so I've also, I'm kind of excited to look at the rest of what she's written. Yeah. Like her other books. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a perfect book. I mean, I I feel like um, when I think about all of my favorite books, they all are flawed, which I think is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, I like, um, that end was a little fast, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think probably people have the same complaint about my books, so there you go. So how do you usually find your book recommendations? You know, I might look on like sort of Lit Hub or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also, I'm just, I have, there's a, we have a great local bookstore here in Memphis called Novel. Um, Mm. so I might just kind of wander and see what's kind of facing me, um, or what's kind of staff recommendations in the bookstore. Um, Mm. I also, I don't use Amazon really. Uh, Mm. I don't use it for books for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, 
do use the kind of like uh, recommendations tab where you're kind of curious. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just use it. I have like a list. So when I'm like at a bookstore, I'll look on my Amazon list and that's where I'll, I buy the book. Oh, that's store. a great idea. But yeah. the curated, like, you know, it kind of just keeps like throwing up new ones and titles like these. And so I kind of just use their, I don't know, algorithm. Um, which it's not the best. And obviously it's pushing certain books, but, and so I I also appreciate that you can read little excerpts mostly on Amazon. Yeah. That's, oh, that's a good point. Um, Yeah. That you can't necessarily read on like IndieBound and stuff like that. I think that's a Mm -hmm. flaw. So I'll read, um, an excerpt and that, you know, if it grabs me, I'll, I'll put it on my list. We recommended the gone dead in an episode where we were talking about, Justice, you know, books that dig into hidden stories and bring some truths to light. And then I've also read The Man Who Shot Out My Eye is Dead. And both of them are so different, so unique, but it got us thinking, Have were any books um, inspiration uh, or, or things that, uh, you know, really got you thinking about the topics for those books? The Man Who Shot Out My Eye is Dead. Um, there's a lot of different inspirations in there because it is a, yeah. a story collection. But I was, I had read David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Mm, And yeah, one of my favorite books. And I sort of thought, well, what if I kind of set up an experiment for myself? Um, And this is when I was still in grad school. And I was like, what if I wrote a spy story? What if I wrote a Western? You know, so I kind of just set it up as an experiment for myself. And that's sort of the genesis of that collection. well, it it worked. There were so many different formats, so many different types of stories. Thank yeah, you. sure. Um, and I think as I did it, like certain themes began to emerge and certain obsessions began to emerge, mm-hmm. um, some more fortuitous than others. Um, but I think that that, you know, that book, each, each story, I kind of, I often had like a playlist because I also had to, especially once it sold, like I had to switch back and forth between stories. So I had like yes. kind of a CD playlist, like certain songs that might help me get in or certain like word lists or certain things that I was thinking about. Um, and I, you know, for the, the opening story, um, a lot of times my research is part of the, the um, inspiration. But one of the things was Michael Ondaatje, one of his earliest books is called, um, is called Billy the Kid. Um but it's sort of a genre bending piece. Like it's prose, but it's poetry, but it's fiction, but it's not. And there's also like uh, some photographs or also places where like there should be a photograph. So this very like seventies experimental short little book that is just beautiful and weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then for the gotten dead, um, it was coming from a place of uh, wanting to write about these characters and and more like Mm -hmm. uh, research but I did was I did get stuck where I had a hard time for years um, getting the the main protagonist Billy getting her voice. You know, I tried first really? person, third person. I tried past tense, present tense. I tried close. I tried distant, and I really couldn't access her. Um, and partly it was because I felt like third person was right but I didn't, I hadn't written a lot of third person. So, it did, you know, it's mm-hmm. not as voicey as some of the pieces that I've written. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't really until I realized that it wasn't just her story, that this is a, the story of a town, uh, the, the story of a del- the Delta, that it's a communal story. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that in, there needs to be other voices. Like she's not going to quite often, especially something traumatic. Uh, no one person has a monopoly on that truth. And so she's not going to be able to really tell us the story of what happened to her father. She wasn't there. Um, And other people are going to have to do that. And it's going to be the combination of these other people's knowledge where we get some kind of cohesive picture. Um, Hmm. And so once I started writing from different characters' perspectives, then I sort of got her as a whole person. Um, And part Hmm. of that is other characters can do a lot of that work. Like they can tell you what they think of that, you know, other characters, what they think of that protagonist. Sure, yeah. So the the protagonist doesn't have to carry the burden of like, I'm like this, you know, which feels very Mm -hmm. clunky and false. Um, And so I thought about um, William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying, which I think is his most uh, accessible book. But it has all these different characters' perspectives. But the mother's death, Addie, she is the hub, right? She's the wheel. Her death, her impending death is a thing that all these characters are sort of um, spiraling around. And so for me, um, Billy's father, his death is that thing that everybody's sort of spun, yes. spun out from. Mm-hmm. And so once I kind of conceptualized that, the book really started to open up for me. Um, so I kind of read certain books because I'm just getting like, power off the language or inspired and sometimes that means poetry or i'm using certain books um as research i love the idea of the playlist too to get you in the back and forth and get you in the headspace for writing in those different stories Mm -hmm. that's terrific someone would probably really like to have those (laughs) it's another monetary opportunity (laughs) well we have been asking some of the authors that we talked to kind of like our top five questions Mm -hmm. that we want to cover and the first one not to sound too much like the wedding question but (laughs) we're fascinated by fan interactions with authors Mm -hmm. and so do you have any um interesting or weird fan interactions that you'd be willing to share um, <laughs> it's that last part that's always the tricky one. Uh-huh. Well, one thing that happened, and you have to tell me if this qualified, is I have gotten a couple uh, letters to my house. Oh, not hmm, sure how that, that happened. Seem right? No, yeah. I'm not sure how they found me. But um, and I've also like taken myself paid to take myself off of white pages. Oh um, my god. But a couple letters came to me and a couple were just, uh, one was, seemed like a normal person, um, <laughs> seemed like a normal person. <laughs> where they want me to sign, um, like index cards and send it to them. What? I think this is a thing. Um, okay. okay. The other uh-huh. was strange, um, but not a scary person. And okay, I was thinking we were going scary. Yeah. The other was um, from prison. What? Which, hey, I am obviously interested in the issues of mass incarceration and yes. justice yeah. in our justice system. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. You know, I have corresponded before with someone in prison. It was very different circumstances, but that's fine. But when I opened the letter... It was just like, I've discovered you, you're the real thing. I was like, oh, this is nice. But then it went on to say, like, um, you know, you can look up what I've done and you'll see that it's like really a big mistake. 
and it oh, has to no. do with my ex-wife and just mm. like went on and on oh, and no. then he talked about his own writing and like kind of what a genius he is um, <laughs> so it was yep. okay. very uh-huh. like strange narcissistic kind of like you're wonderful and I've recognized how wonderful you are because I'm so I'm more wonderful myself yeah. and mm. um like really it just it was quite long and, uh, but I also just found it so strange that he like referenced his crime and sort of, like, <laughs> and he didn't say what he did, but he was just oh. like, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, litigating basically wow, advocating for his innocence and, uh, you know, it's because of his religious ex-wife. That's the real problem. Um, without like really talking about what he did. So I, I haven't had the chance to like look it up. Cause I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd be Whoa. afraid to. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh I'm still gosh. stuck on how they send it to your house. Yeah. Well, oh, boy. the oh. internet guys. Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. But I wasn't uh, kind of like, so this person could just show up at my house. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that's not. That's Good thing I don't answer the door when people knock. <laughs> I, I do we the don't same either. thing. <laughs> Just hide from anyone coming to the door. No. Um, well, thinking of maybe happier times, um, <laughs> did you have any authors that, you know, before you were published, your collection and then your uh, novel, any authors that you really wanted to meet and then you got an opportunity to and then it went well? I did get to meet Ben Fountain um, a few months ago. And he was just this like lovely and attentive guy and just so thoughtful. The kind of person like when you're with them, they're like truly present with you. Oh, wow. Um, and he was really like that is I once met Ben Kingsley, the actor. Whoa. And he huge, massive, massive, like deep brown eyes. And he oh. just said, Hello, Chanel. And it was like the world behind oh. me just like went all shimmery, you know, like <laughs> it was me and him alone on this earth. And you know, it just really makes you feel like they're, you're the only person in the room that they're talking to. Wow. Um, and so I think that that's like, you know, that's part of his like actor magic. But I also think people who are like, you know, practice meditation or something are truly present, <laughs> really just kind of like let the bullshit fall away and are just like really talking to you as a person and human. And uh, listening, really listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really felt like Ben Fountain just kind of exuded this sort of like lovely goodwill. What, uh, you know, you talked about a few of your favorite books, but is there a book that you think everybody should read? Heavy um, by Kiesi Lehman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great choice. I that read Kiesi's book. Yeah. I fucking love him as a human, as a writer. Um, and I just finished it and I thought of all these people who would be rocked if they read this book and needed to mm-hmm. read this book and needed to mm-hmm. like see what he was seeing, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was some gut punches of moments in that book. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then our last one, cause at the end of our podcast, we take some time and talk about maybe what we're obsessed with pop culture right now. So it might be a podcast, a um, musical artist, whatever. TV, yeah, movie. TV, TV, mm-hmm. movie, anything. Um, so what's your current pop culture obsession? Um, I have no idea what is happening. <laughs> um, I know there's a lot of great TV out, but I get sort mm-hmm. of overwhelmed. And I'm also like up late a lot. So I have to say that what I do more than anything is listen to podcasts. 
Yeah. And, you know, I listen to the, you know, I have the My Favorite Murder and all that kind of stuff and Pod Save America. I also listen to um, a podcast called, ah, this is so hard because there's like a bunch. Um, <laughs> this podcast will kill you. Oh, I've heard of that one. Um, Which is basically like these two epidemiologists. And I am not a science person, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) But these two epidemiologists talking about, you know, the one that got me hooked was this one they did on Belladonna, where they're talking about like, you know, where it comes from, where it first, like the history of it, where it first showed up in literature, but also like the, um, oh gosh, they don't even have the words for it the sort of biology of it and then sort of like the uses and cures. And they also do it with stuff like yellow fever and things like that. Mm. And, you know, I'm really interested in history. So I love that. But I also just sort of like my mind sort of expanded hearing about like different hosts or the fact that like we could actually cure measles if people would get their vaccinations um, like we (laughs) did for polio. Uh Um, But, you know, I think about, I'm kind of like storing a lot of it, I feel like, for stories. Ooh, but yeah, it's just it, yeah. it's the history of humanity because they sort of go back to like sort of like when it first, you know, in China in the year 500 BC, they, you know, there was this little writing where this like, you know, first sighting of it showed up. And then, you know, they did the plague and they, they do all these different ones where, um, you know, it's just so interesting to kind of look at um how intertwined we are with disease, with bacteria, um, and how humans have like struggled to understand or explain or cure. Um, so it just gets into this like sort of esoteric information that I find fascinating. Wow. But the two (laughs) women who do it are really upbeat. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was kind of weird, but it works because they're just like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. And so <laughs> it's so dark. They're like, let's talk about Ebola virus um, because they're like so fascinated and kind of nerding out on uh-huh. it. But I think they were like more dark and serious and I wouldn't be able to listen to it. Sure. But the fact that they're like, oh, my God, that is fascinating. Um, <laughs> you know, it's very different from my temperament. But yeah. Erin. Yes. We just talked to Chanel Benz. She's amazing. It was pretty great. There was a lot of stuff in there. So Covered good. a lot of ground. Right? And one of my favorite things is when she uh, pretended to be her teacher mm-hmm. as she read aloud mm-hmm. Moby Dick and Scarlet Letter. And I just pictured myself in that classroom mm-hmm. and how ridiculous that had to be. Yes. It was glorious. I think one of the moments that I felt particularly endeared to her was when she started writing her own mysteries in middle school yes. and like writing herself into books because most that she was reading didn't yeah. have girls or people of color. Yeah. And so she kind of took it upon herself. She's like, screw this. I'm going to make it better. And I'm thinking in my head, you were destined to be exactly. an amazing author. Yes. You saw it then. I really liked, I, I hadn't realized that she had this acting cast yeah, too. Yeah. And that she went to drama school, which sounded super cult-like and scary. Very scary. I... I Listening to her talk about auditions was so sort of disheartening, which I imagine yeah. it is. You know, I've always mm-hmm. thought about that. But yeah, hearing about it firsthand just sounded terrible. Tell Especially- us about a wedding. Yes. <laughs> what? You tell me about a wedding. I would be so bad. <laughs> tell us about a wedding. I would just have to relate a lot of times I was drunk at weddings. Yeah. Be like, I took a pr- present and 
There was a ceremony. And I found there was a blunder in the present that I stole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. You know what was also really cool, hmm. which is an awesome idea, but she created playlists for every story she wrote when writing her collection. Yes, which I love that. Such a great idea. I steal that idea. That's, I think that's an amazing piece of writing advice yeah. if I ever heard one. Yeah. Just to be able to get back into that yeah. mood easily. And yeah. Really By smart. the way, I also think that's a cross marketing opportunity because how yes. someone would buy that. Yes. A CD of the song she listened to. While, Absolutely. I mean, or try, I don't know. Do people still buy CDs? Uh, not so much. Yeah, but, that was you know, maybe a Spotify playlist. <laughs> Woo, really aged me there. All right. <laughs> well, as we've talked about in our favorite things episode, you're living in like 2005, so yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Technology has not moved past that for me, so it's still a CD. Either way, what yes. a cool idea. What was not cool was hearing about the fans that reached out to her at her own personal house. We have talked about how I don't like people coming to my door. Mm-mm. I barely allow Mm-mm. mail. And Mm-mm. I get a letter from somebody in prison who is trying to tell me they're a better writer than I am, but in sort of like a backhanded way. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, she dealt with it very like, oh, it's fine. Freaked me out. Yeah. Also, she mentioned this thing about people sending note cards and you just sign them. Yeah. And she said that that, like, that was normal. And I just wanted to point out that that means she's just a really famous good author because no one does that for me or you. And I think that that's normal. I think we ask our fans to send us index cards. If you send me an index card, I'll sign it. I'll even put Unless a drawing on it. Unless you're going to steal my identity. Oh. Oh. Oh, shit. Yeah. I could use our signature. Although... Who looks I mean, at a signature anyway? Yeah, yeah, it's I, fine. My signature does not yeah. look like my but signature. But I mean, I, I, clearly she's at the level that people are like, look what I've got. Yes. And that is... I mean, that's that's a sign. You and made it is it. deserved. You yes. should feel that way about her you signature. Should. You should. I mean, I'm tempted to send a note card. I won't. <laughs> I won't. But... She'd be like, listen, we are, I already talked to you. Yeah, this is... Why do you need this? Yeah, this is this not makes right. makes no sense. I'm more freaked out by you than the guy <laughs> I can see that actually. Yeah. Your intensity is sometimes oh, sometimes scary. it's a lot. Yeah, yeah that's fair. terrifying. That's fair. What's not terrifying was meeting Ben Kingsley. I loved that, and I loved his voice and his eyes. Magic brown mm-hmm. eyes. <laughs> what? I would feel so silly in front of Ben Kingsley. I would. I, well, we all know I would be. It would be a terrible disaster yeah. that you would all laugh at later, but. I mean, it'd be glorious. In right? the moment, it would be just so a what we would do train wreck. is, yeah, I would send you over to meet him, and then I would video the encounter, <laughs> just knowing this is going to turn <laughs> real weird. And then soon we're YouTube stars across the land. It would be like, hey, can you sign this index card? I also brought you a CD. Like, Who is this person? What year is this? A time traveler? Yeah. What year is this? Is this a Hobbit? <laughs> Ugh, like we said, a lot of great stuff. She's wonderful. So we will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. But in the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, and check out all of these episodes. And like we said, this is a new series of bonus episodes we're providing. And maybe you've missed some. You need maybe to go back and check. We've got Mona Watt. We've got Angie Kim. More coming all the time. Yes. And if you like this one, you'll like the others because they're all Absolutely. wonderful. All wonderful. So we've got tons to help you figure out what to read next and to make you laugh. And if we've done that why don't you give us a review do it if you got an apple player it's easy on apple podcasts if you've got any other player not so easy but we suggest going to Podchaser, a very easy way to both find podcasts that you love as well as ours and to leave us a review absolutely and if you've been listening to our regular themed episodes you know that we've taken some great listener ideas too so have a theme suggestion or challenge Send it our way. Send it right to us. Not to our home address. Don't find our home address. No, no. And send us a creepy letter. No. Don't do it. 
Send it no. to our electronic mail. Yes, yes. Or to our social medias. If you need to write it on a index card, just scan it in and then send it. <laughs> send a PDF of that yeah. index card. Yes. Yep. Agreed. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.